Grace and Mercy podcast. This podcast is for people who want to know the grace of God and how it changes the way we interact with the world. I'm your host, author Darlene Bojack, and in this episode, we're going to find out what John has to say about grace. We love John, don't we? So a little bit uh, about my situation at the moment. It's a stormy day, so you may hear thunder in the background. Um, I've got Chica, my puppy, right next to me. She may make a little uh, noise. Um, and instead of eliminating those sounds, if you hear them, just know that I'm a real person too. And to quote Mr. Darcy, disguise of every sort is my abhorrence. So today we're going to start with a very interesting thing that I discovered this morning preparing for this. Um, we have Mark 14.11. Mark 14.11 is the word kara. And it's the ironic way. We, we talked about it being an ironic use of the word kara. Kara is one of the conjugates for karis, which means grace. Kara means joy or rejoiced. Now, Mark 14, 11, it says, is when Judas offered to betray Christ, and they were delighted to hear this, and they promised to give him money. So Judas began uh, uh, to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. An Old Testament uh, parallel verse is Hosea 7, 3. They make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. So the the irony of grace in the word kara here actually shines a light on its connection to grace. I want to talk about that for a second. The word kara again is joy, gladness, a source of joy. It's a noun. And it says it is properly the awareness of God's grace, favor, joy. Grace recognized. There is, um, in the Old Testament, the word for this joy is not uh, the word for grace. It's the word samak, which means rejoice and be glad. And certainly you've heard that word because it's loaded in, um, in Psalms. We have... You shall rejoice before the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord, uh, your God, and rejoice, you and your household, and you shall rejoice before the Lord, and you shall rejoice in your feast. I rejoice in your salvation. Um, And then when they saw the ark, they were glad, they rejoiced. The, The Bible uses this word rejoice for for something that's deep in a person welling up like the welling up of joy that comes from a gift from God so you see the irony with the 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 Sanhedrin so excited about Judas being willing to betray Christ. The the terrible irony in there. Um, The terrible irony 
shines a light on God's expectation for our joy. Uh, Not only are we told to rejoice in the Lord, but the Bible is clear that joy must come from God and not the things of this world. You see, when the king delights in wickedness, it's automatically wrong, right? And when we delight in things of this world without giving credit or or attention to God's part in that, we are doing wickedness. Because it is wicked to rejoice when God is excluded from that event. And I find that uh, that uh, I find that to be a direct lesson we can get from the connection between kara and karis. As I said, it's not in the it's not in the Hebrew, but the word rejoice is intimately tied as a command. I mean, rejoice in the Lord is a command, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Um, sure, we delight in our kids. We, we can maybe rejoice in their successes. But to not give credit to God for his great kindness in that, for his grace in that event, in that thing, to not turn it into an opportunity for thanksgiving and praise is, it's wrong. It's loving the world. I have a um, a study that I uh, am doing with the women in, in our church. And one of the things I do is I teach the how how certain themes are in the Bible. And there's this one, uh, there's this one theme that we find, which is pleasure as a separation filter. And um, without going into too much detail, I can put some links in the show notes to find out more about that and a podcast that I've, uh, I do occasionally on that. Uh, but pleasure is in this world as a test. I think the Bible is clear that pleasure is a test to show what we really love and what we really care for. So when when the people in the temple, the Pharisees or whoever Judas went to, when they went to to them with this offer to betray an innocent man and they rejoiced, they showed clearly their heart was not to honor God with their deeds. Their thoughts and the attitudes of their heart were not to be pleasing to God and to give God the glory. It was it was a something that was very earthly and wicked. They were wanting something that they would get from killing Jesus. They'd get it back. It was that authority and their the honor, all those things that they were losing from this guy who's teaching something different than they, than they are, and in a sense, undermining their authority. So they were living for that, not for the glory of God. So as a, as a strong object lesson, when we, when we review in John the use of the word 
kuris, and then when we also include the word kara, we need to remember that rejoicing is almost a sacred act. Uh, because of the connection in the Greek to these words, the, the karis is properly the rejoicing uh, from, uh, from gifts, specifically gifts that God has given. Okay, so today we're going to be looking in, uh, at the four different words uh, for grace, the four different conjugates of grace in the book of John. There are other ones in the New Testament, and we'll get the, to those uh, eventually. Uh, one of them was in, in Luke, uh, but these words that we're going to review are all tied to charis, or uh, to, to grace. Before we, uh, before we do that, we have some comments. So a friend of mine named Brandon uh, he said this, I just feel like relying on God is too easy and there must be something I'm missing because it feels lazy. And I think that the, the ease of grace, uh, the ease of grace is tied to this, like how can it be so easy how can forgiveness be so easy? And, you know, there's definitely a, a need to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Christ as a response to grace, but not as a precondition to that grace. It really is that easy to be forgiven of your sins, which is the stumbling stone, isn't it? Okay, we also have uh, a call-in quote from Kendra. Uh, listen to this. When I think of grace, one of the first things that comes to my mind is unmerited or undeserved favor. When I think of a gracious person, it's someone who bears with others, who doesn't always hang on to their own rights, but is willing to give them up for the sake of others in kindness. There are a few ways in which I think I am blind to grace. Um, growing up with several generations of Christian background in my both, on both sides of my family, uh, there was blessing there. And for some reason or another, uh, I, I didn't go through a big rebellion or time when I just wanted to walk away from God. That said, because of that, I think sometimes people who have gone through that maybe understand or value or have almost a deeper appreciation for the grace of God. Uh, it brings tears to their eyes because they understand what they have been saved from. Or those who grew up in a different religion, they 
they understand what they have been saved from. And sometimes I don't feel I grasp that as deeply or value that as deeply as others. The thing that I think I'm trying to understand is uh, whether grace is free or if it always in some ways means um, that someone else is picking up uh, the burden or or paying for um, that kindness in some way. Uh, for example, Christ on the cross, um, the forgiveness of sin is not free, it's free to us, but yet Christ gave his life. That's an example. Or if someone's debt is forgiven, that's an act of kindness and grace. But someone is not being repaid and picks up that burden. So that's one area that I'm trying to understand. Wow, thank you, Kendra. Those are really good points. We really do have to consider whether or not grace is free. It's free to us. Remember I said it's the space between please and thank you. It's the need met, right? And the appreciation because of the need met, which is probably connected to the word rejoice, right? And and the, the space between needing and having your need met by someone who can meet your need is completely tied to their heart. Do they want to contribute? Do they want to give it? Do they want? And, and that unmerited means it's not a duty for them, right? So like if you tell your child to pick up their room, they are sort of doing you a favor, but ultimately your authority is why they're doing it. Right? They're not doing it freely. Uh, if you ask a king for uh, a pardon for a friend of yours who's in prison, and that king grants it, that's their authority uh, and their will tied together to meet your need. And it's not because necessarily because of who you are. Or it could be that they, they're like, I like the fact that this person is a good person, so because they're requesting it of me, or maybe they're one of their, um, for in the sake of a president, somebody who might have been uh, one of their financial backers, so it's kind of an obligation, but that's not unmerited. That isn't merited. If a king does it because of who you are, the king pardons your friends from prison because of who you are, then or even because of something about you or the situation that is that warrants the merit, then it's merited favor, right? But unmerited favor costs somebody. Unmerited favor, um, it costs uh, 
somebody's going to have to pay that. For example, if you let a prisoner, a murderer out of prison, and the, the family of the victim is the one that suffers, because for them there was justice done by putting in prison, and it's injustice to let them out of prison. So the pardon on one side is a cost on the other, right? But um, we have that for Christ. He, you know, our freedom is not without cost. Our God's grace is easy for us, but it's not easily won. Christ, you know, if you think about it, Jesus had to live a righteous childhood, a righteous infanthood, and and just fathoming that, just sometimes I cannot understand, you know, because babies, they throw their will around, you know, just because they want. They scream, and Jesus did not, could not, would not do that, or he couldn't have died for the sins of the whole world. He would have been sinful if he had sinned as an infant, in asserting his will over the will of his parents, uh, you know, and a lot of people want to disregard that, um, say, well, he must not have, it must not have been before his, what they call it, the accountability, age of accountability, before that it was all free game. Well, he wouldn't have been a sinless, a sinless sacrifice if he had sinned as a baby. Oh, maybe it wasn't a sin. It's not a sin for a baby. Well, we know very well that little kids are sinners. They steal and and they throw fits and they um, they lie. You know, even without being taught to lie, they lie to avoid getting in trouble. Jesus didn't do that as a baby. I think we say we say that he died on the cross for our sins, but he was. Um, he lived a spotless life, even as an infant, even as a child. And um, we can say that was costly. You know, the good kids always get teased. Uh, the good kids always get, like, taken advantage of. You know, the, the nice boys in, in a playground are the ones that always get treated really bad by the rough boys. And we have to know that when it says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, part of that was the the boys and girls in the neighborhood in Nazareth. He was treated as an illegitimate child. He was referred to that as an illegitimate child in the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud. Uh, they referred to Christ even, or to Jesus of Nazareth as as a as a bastard. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. It was not free. Uh, Brandon said, it just seems so easy. And it is easy for us because it's unmerited for us. But as Kendra said, it's not free. It's not free. It's unmerited, but it's not free. Somebody has to pay. Um, so today we're going to read through, um, first of all, the word Charis, where Charis is used, is used four times in the book of John. And the the great thing is that it's all in one passage. The four times that Charis, the actual word for grace is used, is in one, uh, one passage. So we're going to read through that. 
Okay, John 1, 14 through 18. See if you recognize the uses of the word kiris here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So here we see four uses of the word grace and actually the only four uses of the proper noun grace in the book of John. Is that surprising to you? Uh, the book of John focuses the, the word grace right here. We have seen his glory and it says full of grace and truth, which brings up another quote from... Kendra. Also, what is the the meshing point or the, the mixture of grace and truth? It says that Christ came full of grace and truth. And what does that mixture look like? And how can I apply grace and truth together uh, with my neighbors, with my family members? Uh, what does that look like? So those are some of my blind spots or, or areas that I want to grow in. That's a very good point, Kendra. You know, the, it says full of grace and truth, and we usually associate truth as a, as a hurtful thing, don't we? I mean, possibly. Truth hurts. Because if somebody has never heard the truth before, and they hear it, they have to adjust their life to it. And adjusting one's life to truth is not uh, necessarily a painless activity. You have to get rid of some things, take on other things. You have to shift your life to fit, uh, to fit the, the truth, the new truth. Uh, we have friends here um, in Turkey that are Muslim. And when you, when you tell them the gospel, that's grace and truth, um, it's, it's like a sword for their life. It slices, um, slices things off of their life, and um, sometimes they lose their families, sometimes they lose their jobs. It's not an easy thing to, to come to Christ but the grace and the truth together um, bring that change. Grace by itself includes truth, I think. Yeah, I am wondering myself, Kendra, if um, what the connection is between grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So let's put that on our list of things to uh, try to discover in this study. Um, so the four times again in, in John 1, John 1, 14, full of grace and truth. 
John 1.16 has two of them, uh, grace upon grace, and John 1.17, um, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So then we have, uh, we have sometimes that the word Cairo is shared, uh, is used in the Bible. Cairo. Cairo, as you remember, is to rejoice, to be glad, and it's part of the salutation. Like when the angel came, came and said um, Cairo to uh, Mary, he greeted her. And, and so did Judas. He used the same word uh, in his greeting of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Cairo, fav- favorably disposed, leaning towards it's a cognate with grace, means it's directly related, properly to delight in God's grace or rejoice. Okay, so it's the verb, verb form of kara that we were talking about. So this is rejoicing as a verb. First of all, we have John 3.29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Uh, this, is, this is John the Baptist saying that. And he's saying that he is the friend of the bridegroom and he rejoices at the bridegroom's voice and his joy is complete. So let us keep as a model John's uh, words here. His joy is complete because he saw the beginning of Christ's ministry. How much more should ours be complete as we we have the complete scriptures? Okay, then we have John 4.36. This is when the disciples return from spreading the gospel. And it says, Jesus is is saying uh, as a response to their rejoicing, He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Our our idea of rejoicing being tied to God, evidently um, here, the sower and the reaper are, are rejoicing in the harvest. But we celebrate Thanksgiving. Americans and Canadians and people from other countries have a thanksgiving event where they thank God for that harvest because without his con- God's conscious thoughtful uh, orchestrating of events there would be no harvest right he put the rules into motion and at, to Noah he says that season will follow season we can trust that God's um, laws are are functioning and yet, without his will, nothing will sprout from the ground. So, the sower and reaper rejoice together. Then we have John eight fifty six, when Jesus is talking about uh, Abraham. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Another reason that somebody is being glad is because of God. John eleven fifteen, for your sake... I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Okay, this is when Lazarus was 
um, he was told that Lazarus is dead and he's about to go down to where Lazarus is buried. And he says, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. So we see in there the, the rejoicing in his heart because he knows that Lazarus is going to come from the dead, come back from the dead. He's going to resurrect Lazarus. So he's glad in advance because he knows for their sakes, they will see a great, a great wonder. John fourteen twenty eight. Jesus is saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Okay, so we are told that rejoicing is connected as well to our hope in future things, right? If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. So knowing that Christ is interceding for us before the Father, uh, now from this perspective, we can rejoice. But for them, they wanted his physical presence with them. Understandably, they were. This is John 14, is, uh, I believe, is the high priestly prayer, you know, where he's uh, before his crucifixion. Okay, Jesus said to them, Are you asking one another why I said, In a little while you will not see me, and then after a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Okay, so here we have both um, the uh, verb and the noun form. So kara, uh, we'll see this again when we review kara. The world rejoices. Uh, another thing that separates us from the world is what we rejoice in. So let us be thoughtful about joy that we get in this world and from the things of this world because it's all from God's hand. Even as the sower and the reaper rejoiced, it was because of God's participation in that event that they truly should have been uh, should be rejoicing. And in this case, the world might rejoice, but theirs is a false joy. Um, our true joy is um, at the resurrection because you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And I'm just remembering Martha's, uh, I mean, uh, Mary Magdalene's words, um, Rabboni, you know, she falls down at his feet and her heart must have just been so full of this sorrow turning to joy right there. Then we have John sixteen twenty two. He says a woman has pain at childbirth because her time has come. Uh, and then a few um, sentences later. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Awesome promise. Awesome promise. You will rejoice and no one will take your joy. So we also have, here's a double, isn't it? It's the verb and the noun together. Cairo and kara. And friends, let's not forget that real joy comes from knowing God and from, and from delighting in his kindness and his grace, the things that he gives. So, so 
uh, recognize that there is a giving. We rejoice. It's it's like the the thank you part, isn't it? It's the the gift causes a reaction. Okay, so Judas gave a gift to the the Pharisees, and they rejoiced. Their reaction was rejoicing at the gift, right? Which is a false, an ironic and a false kind of joy. But for us, we we rejoice in the gifts of God. We rejoice in His grace. It's a response to the grace. Next, John nineteen three. Ooh, this is a. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. They set it on his head and dressed him in a purple robe. And they went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and slapping him in the face. So this is the greeting. Rejoice. Uh, like, hail. Maybe it's kind of like, hooray, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. And we look at that, and our sorrow turns to joy, doesn't it? Because we know that he he suffered that. Every one of those beatings for, um, for the sake of, of the church because he so loved the church. He gave himself, like we said last time, gave himself, gave himself. And like Kendra said, it has to do with a, uh, it's not free. It's not free. Then we have John twenty twenty. Uh, this is when he appears to the disciples. Peace be with you, he said to them. After, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So in the translation, um, in the transla- ESV, the disciples were glad. It sounds very not as excited as we know that the word rejoice is. This is the word rejoice. So the NIV says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I think that is a, a good way to use the word that we're studying, overjoyed when they saw the Lord because their sorrow turned to joy, didn't it? Right here. Okay, we're going to go into Kara. We have, um, when we did Luke, we just went sequentially through, uh, and I, I, whatever the grace cognate was, I just went sequentially through Luke, but I think it might be easier to, uh, and we're, this time we're just going one word at a time. So we've done Caris and we did Cairo. Now we're going to do Kara, but we've seen some of, some of those already, haven't we? Okay, so going back, John 3, 29. Okay, uh, yet again, the when John says, um, uh, the friend, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So it's a rejoice and joy in the same sentence. John uh, 3, 29 again uses the word twice now we have john 15 11 uh, jesus says if you keep my commandments you will remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love i have told uh, these things i have spoken to you that my joy be may be in you and that your joy may be full here we have it twice don't we joy if you get anything from this study today or from the study this study that we're doing on grace see that joy comes from this sorrow turning to joy it comes from the gifts of god it comes from the gifts of god the gifts of god are like he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul he makes me lie down in green pastures 
he um he anoints my head with oil my cup runneth over right our shepherd's involvement in our life makes us happy right it's real joy our joy is full our cup runs over from this joy don't make joy uh, come from people or things in this world only as they are from God's hands. If you rejoice in anyone, it's because God has been gracious and given that person to you for now, you know, and and if you rejoice in anything, it's because it's from his hand. So if they're taken, you you can say with Job, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord, because it's not the person that brings joy. It's God's graciousness that brings joy. And I think that sounds really smart. I'm like, wow, yeah, it's a good lesson. All right, we have John fifteen eleven. These things I've spoke to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Okay, so that's twice, so I, I repeated it twice. Um, John sixteen twenty. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Here's a double, another double. Do you notice that there's a lot of these doubles? We had a double in Luke. When hail you who are favored, uh, favored one, the Lord is with you. And the uh, the wise men rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Right? So the joy, overflowing joy, is is response to Seeing the world through the grace of God. John sixteen twenty one. A woman is given birth. She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered her the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Then we have John sixteen twenty two, The continuation of that passage. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Joy, joy, rejoice and joy in the same sentence. Um, these verses will be on the show notes page. Uh, if you'd like to uh, refer to them, you just go to the show notes page and the link will be at the um, end of this podcast. Uh, go to the show notes page and you can take a look at all these yourself. They're linked to Bible Hub. That's what I use for this podcast. John sixteen twenty four. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Goodness, there it is, the between please and thank you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. But you see, it's not the thing that you get. It's that you asked and that he gave. I'm really digging this study on grace. John seventeen thirteen. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Uh, he is praying here. He, I'm going to read the verse right before this. While I was with them, I protected and preserved them by your name, the name you gave me. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you. And I'm saying these things while I am in the world so that they may have my joy fulfilled within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Okay, there is our, our 
understanding of joy comes from membership in God's kingdom. You see, with being his sheep on the path. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We have joy, just like um, even, even in Job, he grieved, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has, thus, has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. So even in his grief, Job was holding tight to his um, recognition that the Lord had given him those things. And it was from God. It wasn't the thing that was bringing him joy. It was the giver that had given him joy. Right? A couple more left. The last one in the book of John is John seventeen thirteen about the return of Christ. I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. If we learn anything from the book of John, it is that joy comes from knowing God. And we want to have rejoiced joy. We want our joy to come because we recognize that things are coming from the hand of the giver, just like Job. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we really are grateful for John, who had such a soft heart. We can tell from the way he wrote things that he just, um, he really treasured you and loved you. And we feel through his, through his words, we feel um, what he felt toward you. We feel that as well. And the tenderness with which you were um, the shepherd to your sheep. We feel that um, from John's choice of words, and we're really grateful that you had John write this book and that it is a great gift that we can remember that this isn't, we're not living for this world, though in this world we've got great gifts from you. We are living for being the right kind of receiver the kind of receiver that is um, that is grateful and and maybe empowered by that grace to um, to be light in darkness to to shine out and continue to be uh, be your hands on this earth to show grace and truth in our in our daily lives continue to teach us how uh, how grace and truth um, go together okay uh, question of the week again we have this question how does the rest of the world understand grace uh, thank you for listening to grace and mercy podcast with author darlene bojek this has been episode nine of season one finding grace you can find the show notes for this episode, including links to everything we talked about at graceandmercypodcast.com. Make sure to answer the question of the week on the show notes page. And on the show notes page, I'll also include a phone number if you'd like to upload an audio file to, um, to me 
for that, as uh, Kendra did. Okay, well, we look forward to uh, talking next time. We are doing Deuteronomy next time. All right, see you then.